Thanks, Karen. This morning, I'd invite you to turn as we continue the journey uh, through First and Second Samuel to Second Samuel chapter 18. And would you stand for the reading of the word this morning? We're, we're looking at all of 18, but I, I'm going to read 18, 5 to 15, and then we're going to skip to 31 to 33. Second Samuel 18, starting at verse 5. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. The army marched into the field to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. There, there uh, are the army of Israel was defeated by David's men, and the casualties that, that day were great, 20,000 men. The battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest claimed more lives that day than the sword. And now Absalom happened to, be, to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak. Absalom's head got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair, while the mule he was riding kept on going. And when one of the men saw him, he told Joab, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. And Joab said to the man who told him this, What? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I should have given you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. But the man replied, even if you gave a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hands, I would not lift a hand against the king's son. In our hearing the king, he commanded Abishai and Ittai, protect the young man, Absalom, for my sake. And if I had put my life in jeopardy and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me. Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And ten of Joab's armor-bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. This is the word of God given for the people of God, and we respond together by saying, thanks be to God. You can be seated. This, uh, This summer, we have been looking at the life of King David. And uh, we certainly haven't hit all of David's life. We've talked about that. We're just looking at various scenes along the way. And, uh, and this started out to just be a three-week series that's now in week six. So this is six of three. Um, and yet uh, seven seemed to be more of a holy number. And so on week seven, we really are going to draw David to a close for the summer. But uh, as I looked at the various passages and and thought about, I got to be honest with you, I thought about skipping this passage because this passage, um, this is this part of of David's story and this part of the Bible, it really is a downer. It is not the cheery kind of message that, uh, especially if you're a first time visitor or fairly new, um, if, if the Bible contains the good and the bad and the ugly, this morning is going to contain a lot of bad and a lot of ugly as we go. So let me set the stage for you. David's son, Amnon, has raped his sister, Tamar, his own sister. And David, of course, is angry over this, and yet he doesn't punish Amnon. He doesn't hold him accountable. He, he's his firstborn son, and, and he won't take the step of punishing him. Absalom is another of David's sons, and he's furious about the whole thing, as you can imagine you would be if your brother had acted in such a way. A full two years after it happened... Absalom saw his chance and killed his brother, Amnon. After that, Absalom ran away. David wept for Amnon. But in time, he mourned Absalom, who was gone. 
Now, Absalom was the best-looking man in the whole kingdom. For the Bible says in, uh, in 2 Samuel 15, 6, he says, Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. He not only stole their hearts, but he almost stole the kingdom. Uh, he had lots of followers, and, and even though he's next in line to be king, he just couldn't wait any longer. And so there, there's a rebellion that breaks out. There's a revolt, and David flees the palace, and a civil war ensues. And, and, and the Israelite army, some with Absalom, and, and David has some that are, that are loyal to him. And, and finally it comes to this climactic battle, which was what leads us to this scripture this morning. And almost from the start, Absalom has strikes against him. For one thing, he's too handsome for his own good. There are some of us who struggle in that area as well and understand the kind of pain he must live with uh, each day. Uh, but, but Absalom, one of his issues was pride. For not only was he this handsome man, but, but he had this apparently this magnificent head of hair. And I know some of you, that hits really close to home, and I don't mean to, to be... You know, if you don't have any, that you're not magnificent in some way. But, but for him, it must be of something been pretty important. I mean, the Bible talks about this. He gets a haircut once a year. And they even measure how much his hair weighs. Three and a half pounds on the scale. Must have been quite a nice bit of hair. His father, King David, he doesn't help it, the situation. He is either spoiling him rotten or reading him the riot act. It does not promote a stability of character. He murders his lecherous brother, Amnon. Then he goes to the old warhorse, war uh, Joab, and tries to get him to kind of broker a deal and, and to make things right with David. And, and when that doesn't work, he sets fire to Joab's hayfield. Absalom would go on to lead this revolt, and many people would join him. So it's, it's the eve of the crucial battle. And David is, uh, is a wreck. He's afraid that he's going to lose his throne. More than that, he's afraid that he's going to lose his son, Absalom. I, I mean, the boy is a thorn in the flesh, but he is also the apple of his eye. And, and before the fighting starts, he gathers in the chief of staff. And, and I think he's giving him this speech that they, they know the speech by heart by now. He's saying to them, if you run into Absalom, if you come across him, if you capture him, would you go easy on him for my sake? But when Joab found Absalom caught in the branches of the oak tree with his beautiful hair, must have been quite a picture, he ran him through without blinking an eye. When they broke the news to David, David broke his heart. It's as simple as that. He cried out, and he cried those words that have gone down through the centuries. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son. Those are the verses at the end in, in 31 and 33 when he's told this story and he breaks down and he cries. My son, my son. Ever since Cain and Abel, there have been wayward children and anguished parents. Perhaps some of you have felt the type of pain that King David felt. His son had strayed, his son had gotten into trouble, been involved with the wrong people. It didn't matter, it was still his son. And the pain he felt was no worse than if he himself had died. Losing a child is a horrible thing. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Some of you here know that pain. And a parent who knows that pain knows that they would trade places with them in a moment. William Sloan Coffin was the pastor of Riverside Church in New York City. 
when his 24-year-old son was killed in an automobile accident. A week later, he stood up and preached about it and, and told this story. He said, there are a number of things that you can say to bring comfort, but he said, there is one thing you should not say. And he told the story of the previous week. He'd been at his sister-in-law's house, and, um, and a woman came and brought some quiche for them. And, and as she's bringing the quiche in, she looks over her shoulder, and she says to him, I'll never understand God's will. And he said he shot up in that moment, and he looked at her and he said, you better believe you won't, lady. And he followed her into the kitchen. And he said to her, do you think that it was God's will for Alex not to fix that lousy windshield wiper? Do you think it was God's will that he was probably driving too fast in the storm and had a couple drinks too many? Do you think it was God's will that there were no street lights on that stretch of road? Folks, let me tell you very plainly, tragedies are not God's will. God doesn't want pain for everyone. You go back to the garden and you see there was no death. You go back and see what God's intent was. And yet then sin enters the world. And out of that, families face tragedies and families face struggles. And every family has some difficulty of one or another. And there are some heartaches that we bring on ourselves because of the choices that we make in our life. And there are some heartaches that just happen. And some are worse than others. David's family was absolutely racked by tragedy, but in some way, his family is not unlike ours. We don't have to lose a child to death to feel that deep pain. We can watch as our children make terrible choices that sometimes are painful to us. You, many of you, have, have walked through roads where you've, where you've watched your kids or somebody you love go down roads that you, you, you never wanted them from their life where they became involved in drugs, or they run with the wrong crowd, or they're hanging out with that boy or, or that girl, or, or we, we say things like, what are they thinking? What is she doing? We know they're making a mistake. We see them on the road to the mistake, and yet there's nothing we can do about it. And it doesn't matter what age they are. If our kids were 65 years old and they make a mistake, it's still going to hurt. It's still going to grieve us because they're our kids. And for that matter, it doesn't just happen to children. It can be a dear friend. It can be a spouse. It can be a niece. It can be a nephew. It might even be a parent. And we see them ruining their life or, or drinking themselves to death or throwing away opportunities or making choices we know that they will regret, but we can't decide for them, and we feel helpless. David cries out for his son. And yet there is a sense that David has been crying out for Absalom for a long time. And we may be able to relate to David's grief and pain, but but we can also relate to Joab. His military commander, uh, you you remember that Joab is instructed that that if they get Absalom, if he becomes a prisoner, then, uh, then for David's sake, they ought to protect him. But Absalom thinks that David is out of touch with reality. For a, a, or, or a Joab does, for a live Absalom would continue the killing. It would continue to be a rallying point. It would continue to be this fracture in, in the kingdom. And whatever his personal feelings were that Joab had for Absalom, and they surely weren't good, Joab was politically savvy. He was acting to save Israel, to save David, to stop the killing. Joab, we read, is angry at the soldier who says he found Absalom hanging by the hair and he didn't kill him. And the soldier, he's politically savvy too. He says, I'm not going to do that. That's the king's son. I heard that and and I'm going to be the scapegoat for that. And so Joab says he'll do it himself. 
and he kills him. And as soon as Absalom is dead, the killing stopped. Was it the right choice? The Bible doesn't say. The situation had gotten to the point where I don't know that there was a right choice. There are sometimes situations where there are no good choices, and we are left choosing between the lesser terrible choices. Joab did what he thought was best, best for David, and best for the nation. We know what that's like. We know what it's like when we've been in situations where we're just not sure how we're going to salvage anything to come out of it. It's a terrible situation. No matter what we decide, we're probably going to be wrong. We're probably going to be criticized. We're probably going to feel guilty about it because we're down to two really bad choices. And the way forward isn't clear, and 2020 hindsight doesn't always work. Well, that's the story. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? It's all the Bible says about it. Doesn't pass judgment, doesn't moralize, doesn't offer an easy answer. David said to go easy on him, Joab killed him without thinking twice. Joab acted for the good of the nation. Was he right or wrong? The Bible doesn't say. If we go back to the very beginning of the story and what set it all off or what seemed to is when, is when Amnon raped his sister Tamar. If, if David would have maybe dealt with it back then, if he wouldn't have swept it under the rug, if he'd had the guts to, to, to set his son in a different direction, maybe it wouldn't have happened or maybe Absalom still would have rebelled and there would still be the same ending that they were facing today. The Bible doesn't give alternative endings. So what do we make of this? A tragic family facing great pain, paying the price for sin, feeling the grief that so many of us have felt. It's pretty bleak. If you're newer here, don't worry. It's not this bleak every week. Really, I promise. And I'm going on vacation tomorrow, and I'm going to come back less bleak. I promise. But the fact is that life is not always pretty. Sometimes we have to be honest about that. We need to be honest about life, and we need to ask a question. When we look at this passage of Scripture, the question that we ask every week when we look at Scripture, is there a word from God in the midst of this for us? To start with, I'm glad this story is in the Bible. For the biblical writers did not try to tidy it up because it was King David. David was this great king. David was known as a man after God's own heart. And yet even David... Even David, who sought after God, was blessed in so many ways, would mess things up over and over again. And he would make terrible choices, and he would have heartache. David's life was both filled with with great highs and great lows. Unhappiness and tragedy and regret are part of family life. And it was true for King David, and if it's true for David, why would it not be true for us as well? For we are far from perfect, if we're honest, and we don't always get it right, and we don't always hold it together, no matter what kind of uh, image that we want to project. And, and, And if we get hurt by our own families, it begins to give us just a little bit of a window into maybe how God is grieved by the actions of his children. And I think about the choices that are made. Absalom, David, Joab, And if we recognize that sometimes there is no ideal solution, and therefore um, sometimes there are moments in which we have to wrestle, and even in our wrestling, we can't figure it out. 
it is the reminder for us that there does come those points where we have to go beyond our knowledge. We have to be a people. We must be a people who call upon the name of the Lord and say, God, I'm not even sure what step to take in this. I don't even know how to deal with them anymore. I don't even know what is next. But God, will you help me as I take this step? Will you lead me? Will you be with me? And of course, I think we also learn from this passage, it would be a good idea that if there's a tough decision that's going on in the midst of your life, if there's a situation in which maybe you need to act now, but you have not taken the step, you haven't had the fortitude to do it, uh, to do it before it gets more difficult, maybe it's the time to do it now. Because what we tend to do, and, and it's the tendency that, that David did as well, is, is that we just try to sweep it under. We try to just not deal with it. And we try to create a false peace. And let me tell you, false peace is a cancer that will kill you eventually. And if David had chosen something earlier, if David would have confronted it earlier, if David would have stepped up, it might be different. But he didn't. And it didn't happen. And King David cried, would that I had died instead of you. And I think he meant it. He would have died in his son's place if he could have. He would have paid the price for his son's betrayal if he, if he could have. He, he would have given his own life in order to see his son live once again. But he couldn't. Not even kings, not even a king like David could do that. It takes God to do that. And you know what? In the darkest part of humanity, when, when, when the choices didn't always seem clear, and at just the right time in history, God broke in and sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that in the tough places of life, we understand we aren't walking alone. God is Emmanuel. You remember that means God is with us. And I guess that's part of the good news for us today, that even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of failure, even in the lowest moments of our life, God is there. And I think that's important to remember because I think too often we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves up and we say, if I could just be like David, if I could be known, like I, if I had a label that said Chad, the man who seeks after God's heart, if I could live in that kind of way, then maybe I wouldn't have all this lousy stuff and trials and things happen to me. But the Bible doesn't promise a pain-free life. What it does promise is that God will not leave us nor forsake us. And that he is with us. That he's with us in all of our life, in the joys and our celebrations. But he is especially with us in our sadness and our tears. That he is there. And sometimes the only thing we can do, sometimes when we're facing the decision that we're not even sure what direction to go, the only thing we can do is say, come, Lord Jesus, come. The musicians are going to make their way to the platform. And, and I recognize that this morning is uh, it's a little different. It's a tough passage. And as I've thought about this passage and thought, how do we, God, what, what would you say to us in this? And how does it speak to us where we're at today? I just kept coming back over and over again. I just kept coming back to the altar. And I thought that maybe the way we ought to end today, and we had a beautiful time of this in first service, is that maybe we need to come to the altar. Many of you know the pain of a child who has turned their back on God. 
And some of you know the pain of a child that has turned their back on you. Many of you know the pain of worrying about the choices that a child makes, and it breaks your heart when you watch them, and you just long for the day. You long for the day in which they will turn from where they're going and listen to the voice of God in their life and accept that grace and follow him. And for some of you, that heartbreak is not a child, it's a grandchild. And for some of you, it's a nephew, or it's a niece, or it's a sibling, or it's a parent, or it's a spouse. And you worry about them. And you hurt over them, and you may even be scared for them. And as we sing this morning, I, I just want to invite you, I just kept coming back over and over again, I just want to invite you that Would you be willing today to come and represent them at the altar? To come lift them before the Father? To come invite the Holy Spirit to just speak into your heart and and, and say, God, don't forget them. This is my son. This is my grandson. This is my nephew. This is my spouse. This is the one that I'm just concerned about where they are in the journey of their life. God, would you be with them? maybe if you wanted to kneel at the altar and if you have trouble kneeling, you could stand as well. But I wonder if this morning that there might, there might be multiple people in your life like that that you could represent. Or, or maybe there's just one. But after we sing, I just wanted to come to a time in which we could pray. We could pray for them. We could pray for you. We could say out to God, God, I don't know what to do with this relationship in my life. But I'm bringing it to you. And I'm going to trust you. step out and say, Lord, I give this person to you. I give this child. I give this spouse. For God understands the heartbreak. And he is with us. Well, if you want to come, I want to pray for you. If you come while we sing and represent them, oh, Lord, come. all who are thirsty and all who are weak come to the fountain if your heart in the stream of life let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of
Father, we come before your throne today, and, and I just want to lift up as a people who are kneeling here at the altar and standing and sitting in the front row and standing in the, in the sanctuary. God, each one of those folks that are here, they have somebody who is on their heart today. They've got a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad or a nephew or a brother that weighs heavily. They've lived and watched either the rejection of themselves or they've watched them reject you. And they come today and say, Lord, do not forget them. Do not forget them. And we come today to be reminded that you haven't. That you are the God whose grace continues to reach out. The God who knows these loved ones far more than we know them. Who knows the ins and outs. You are the God who has not forgotten them bring them to you today and we pray that if they can't hear the good news of your word, as Pastor Crowley said, the good news of your gospel today from our lips anymore, God, would you place someone around them, someone in their path that they can hear those words from, that they can be reminded just how much the folks who are kneeling and standing here, just how much they love them. But even beyond that, far beyond how much you love them. Oh God, we lift them before you today. And I lift each one of the lives that are here today at the altar and in the front because Lord, would you bring peace upon them for they're living in some kind of conflict of relationship. And maybe it's a rejection of a brokenness in their own relationship. God, would you bring healing in that brokenness? Or, or maybe the brokenness is they're watching this loved one just rebel and walk away from your plan for their life. Or maybe it's a whole host of things I don't know what to pray for. But Lord, would you bring peace upon each person here? Would your Holy Spirit descend in this place in such a powerful way that there is no doubt we have met you here. There is no doubt that you have not forgotten. There is no doubt that you are the God who opens up your heart and arms wide open today. So it is in hope that we offer this prayer. But it's hope that's based on a great track record. It is in hope that we place this loved one before you. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you help us, God, every one of us, to be a people who live out our faith in such an attractive way 
that whether it's those who are bowing here or those of us in this room, that we might be the answer to somebody else's prayer who is at an altar today, praying that somebody would love and live out their faith in front of someone they love. Help us, God, to be who you've called us to be. And we ask it in the hope of your name. And we pray these words again. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. God, thank you that you are the God who answers prayers. You are faithful to the prayers of your people. And we pray believing today for reconciliation and hope for every person who is here, for every person that is represented. God, may we live in our, our life this week with the trajectory of our life different because we've encountered your spirit today and we have a hope that is beyond our circumstance and it's beyond brokenness. But it is a hope that is found in you. Lord, I have no doubt that when we leave this place, we will face stuff. We will face things as we leave here. We will face things this week. Let us be reminded of this moment. You are with us. And we say thanks be to God. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said together. Amen. Lord bless you. You know, one thing I just want to note uh, with you, you might remember that uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had, uh, we, and we talked about it last week, we had those protesters that were out there, and etc. And, uh, and we said, there's probably a day coming again where they're back, because they, they've been making their way around the different churches. If you were here last week, we talked about it. I'm told they're here again, and I was so proud how you dealt with that two weeks ago. You just love them, and uh, wave, God bless. Um, as you go today, would you go with the hope that is in you? Would you go and just find a way to just pray for them as you go? And uh, if you need, if you're uncomfortable at all, there are guys there at the door that will uh, escort you to your cars. These folks are making their way from church to church. But you know what? Sometimes following Jesus is a little, it's a little tough. And that's okay. Let's learn how to love. Lord bless you as you go.